1: So, Anya, what did we watch?
0: Well, Skipper, we just watched Blondes at Work, the fourth Torchy Blaine film in the series.
1: Indeed we did.
0: (laughs) We got to work (laughs) with Blondes at Work.
1: They're very peculiar movies. Where do we even begin with this
0: one? Where do we begin? Well, I guess we should start off with trying to describe the central mystery in this one which seems to be, and I may be wrong here because it was a little hard to follow to say. Yes, I was
1: completely confused. They may
0: have buried the lead in this one, folks. There's going to be a lot of journalism puns from here on out, so buckle up. They, it seems to be about, so Torchy Blaine, of course, if you've listened to our past episodes on this series, is the uh, blonde-haired star reporter for The Star. Um, and she's just always getting scoops from her curmudgeonly boyfriend, Steve McBride who fails to make her a bride in several movies. They keep attempting to get married. It keeps going bad. Here, here we, it's it's the original will, they won't, they think.
1: And she's desperate to get him to buy her steaks.
0: Yeah, that's her real priority, which I respect a lot. Uh, It's
1: a bizarre running gag.
0: It's, I think it adds a lot of character and I love it, Kevin.
1: (laughs) You love these movies. I
0: love these movies. They're so fun. I'm a reporter. I love the kind of bizarre take on journalism you know, it's like it's like watching something you love through like a distorted mirror. <laughs> You're kind of getting <laughs> glimpses of it, but it's not right. And um, and then of course we we have to introduce a reintroduce uh, the the famous beloved character of Officer Gehagen, who is McBride's police officer friend slash Butler? (laughs) He's not really doing investigations. All he's doing is, like, serving McBride and driving him around.
1: Which I never understood that.
0: (laughs) I just... I guess back in those days, some people were detectives, some people were detectives' butlers.
1: Are the police so overstaffed they have men despair to be the gentleman's gentleman for their detectives?
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's a very odd picture of how policing works but anyways
1: what's the central mystery central- i've watched the movie yeah. i'd like to know what you, i would just watch you
0: just watched the movie a few minutes ago too and we said we i'm gonna try to get it right basically uh it's a retail mystery now that's a subject near and dear to my heart as a retail reporter you know finally we're seeing my stuff this is the kind of shit i write about <laughs> not really um a retail magnate, the, uh, I guess, CEO slash president operator of the Bon Ton department store, which side note, we're going to digress a little bit here. That was a real retail corporation. I think it went out of business recently, but I recognize the name. There's a Wikipedia article. I'm not going to subject you, Kevin, and our listeners to some recap of that Wikipedia article, but it's kind of weird that they picked a real department store name to to have be the have be the central mystery here it, 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 wouldn't that be a little no am i just am i the only one is that weird
1: doesn't it add a touch of doesn't it add a touch of realism to the proceedings but if you
0: have your like if i wrote a story with the ceo of you know kroger being at the heart of like some sleazy mystery wouldn't everyone be like that was kind of weird <laughs> <laughs> some steamy love triangle
1: with the <laughs> with the CEO of Albertsons. I mean like could this have been like a uh, product placement 1938 style?
0: Oh man, Bonton the Bonton Corporation came in and was like, "You know what? We want you to fucking off our boss as part of our media campaign to seem more relevant to today's youth." Put him, in the, put him in some sleazy love triangle with some models and some other rival businessmen and have him die in mysterious
1: circumstances. No, 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 see, wouldn't that be a pretty good strategy in today's viral world? You're know, you always trying to get somebody's attention.
0: You know, the the PR team uh, came back triumphantly to the boss and was like, wow, we got a, a way more engagement with this campaign. And the Torchy Blaine series really set us aside. And he's like, haha, yeah, you're all fired. <laughs> their big idea <laughs> was to write fan fiction about their boss. <laughs> it's quite a it's quite a daring move from these from these madmen before their time. But yeah, no, I anyways. So <laughs> we we're already off the rails <laughs> and it hasn't even gotten started, which is pretty much how this movie feels. Basically, the Bonton CEO is found is goes missing. He goes missing first. And then it turns out he was murdered. He's found stabbed to death. Who killed him? Who could have killed this creepy guy who, you know, was like having affairs with models and had a bunch of, and was you know, drunk a lot, was a total drunk and always fought other men? Who could have done it?
1: Whenever we find out, I hope we find out in the least dramatic way possible, almost as an afterthought.
0: Almost like it's
1: off screen. (laughs) (laughs) But let's... (laughs) We're getting ahead of ourselves. This
0: movie has its own interests and it is not the mystery. (laughs) This movie has its interests, which are like, just like banana peel shenanigans. People slipping on banana peels, basically, and banter between different characters, which I respect. I respect that.
1: I think the big story is that uh, McBride's superiors are furious That he's giving too many stories, too many exclusive, too many scoops, if you will, to his lady friend, Torchy. Right. And so he promises that he's going to stop giving her any information whatsoever.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Code of silence. And so she... Retorts that she's going to stop giving him any information whatsoever because, again, if you've listened to the previous episodes we've done on the Torchy Blaine series, she solves most of these mysteries. It's not the cops. She just comes in and solves it. So it's kind of like Lestrade being like, Sherlock, I'm not going to involve you anymore in these mysteries and Sherlock being like, well, then you don't get my help in like, some dumb shit happening.
1: And his bosses are like, you know, obviously you can talk about things other than... What, is, what does the boss say?
0: Oh, <laughs> The boss has quite a quote because I kind of feel like it's relevant to our lives, Kevin. Uh, The quote is as followed. I wrote it down. We actually rewound it several times to understand what this guy's fake-ass Irish accent was even saying. Can't you lovebirds find something to bill and coo about besides murders and bank robberies? Sorry about the Irish accent, folks. But, you know, (laughs) I can do that because I am Irish. That is, yeah, that's what he says. That sounds like somebody talking about you and me, Kevin.
1: That's all we talk about is bank robberies. We,
0: we talk about murders quite a lot. We have a, we have a podcast called The Murder Sheet. So this pretty much could have been directed at us. I felt personally attacked, frankly. I stood up and walked out of the room when this came on.
1: It was quite a sight to see.
0: <laughs> felt like he was talking directly to us. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you can't talk about cool shit with your honey, what's the point?
1: So now they're going to give up talking about the cool stuff. They're just going to talk about lovey-dovey stuff.
0: Yes. And so they're going to – and basically, but then, like, if if we were going to see like them try to do that, that would be one thing. But basically the movie has them mostly separate except for a couple of collision points because McBride is just completely avoiding Torchy in this one. He, he realizes that that's the only way to not give her scoops. So what do you think that
1: – does that play well in terms of the story to have your two romantic leads separate?
0: I, they weren't separate that much because they had some collision points, but he was very much actively trying not to be around her, which I think definitely dampens the romantic spirit. And I think it's kind of sad because you realize if this were happening in real life, these characters just could not be together because their careers are too different. Or they'd have to change their careers, which they both seem to enjoy.
1: Well, couldn't like Torchy like, cover crime at another department a uh, precinct? Or couldn't he be transferred to another precinct? We have no idea how big this city is. That maybe there's only one department. Did w- didn't we see in a previous movie the, the, the like other crime reporters on the beat? So obviously
0: those guys are all. I want to note those guys are all gone in this movie. So apparently they all got fired, or there was some like dramatic like 2008 esque, you know, newsroom bloodletting going on. Because Muggsy, from the previous film, my favorite character in this whole goddamn franchise, is just thrown out on his ass.
1: With the way of the appsle.
0: Yeah. Just devastating. I wanted them to establish Muggsy as the bizarre character coming in and causing chaos in the journalism world.
1: You were hoping for like a Muggsy franchise, a yeah. Muggsy spinoff. I wanted like What a, would that have been like? Like
0: a Muggsy style, like Sean Hobbs situation. Just give him his own movie. Let him go nuts. Um yeah, I it would have just or mean, like
1: Muggsy teams up with somebody who killed his best friend. <laughs>
0: Yes, that's exactly what I want. Muggsy's best friend gets gunned down investigating a scoop and then he and the gangster accused of doing the killing have to team up because they have common enemies, bigger enemy that they need to take care of.
1: I'd watch that picture. And then
0: and then Dom Toretto comes in and talks about how everyone's a journalism fit. He'd, he'd come in at the end he'd come in and he'd say he'd be like, you're talking about how it's I don't got a newspaper, I got family.
1: It would just be like Dom's like great grandfather?
0: I'd watch the shit out of that. That seems like AI got in my brain and made a movie.
1: Not the first time that's happened, <laughs>
0: that's that just, every night. It Sucks.
1: Very stressful.
0: Yeah, it's it's so so. It's one of those. It's one of those keep the leads apart kind of movies. Um, it there. I felt like they had some really good quips in this one. I'm gonna give them. I'm gonna give the writers. Like the plot is terrible.
1: <laughs> I couldn't make head or tails of the. plot. It doesn't
0: make any sense.
1: And the it's, story structure also, I want to mention, just, is terrible.
0: Just terrible. But there were some quips. That's what we're. That's why. That's why you and I are here. That's why we're all here. We're here for the fucking quips. It's a Torchy Blaine film. So you gotta give them credit. They had some great quips.
1: Give me with one of these, these allegedly great quips.
0: Oh, I'll pull up my computer and figure it out. Pull up my old typewriter. See, everything I say is going to sound much less cool because I'm much less cool than Torchy. Oh, you're pretty cool. So people are going to be like, oh, well, that sucks. Torchy at one point says, I've got ink in my blood and a nose for news. And that needs something besides powder. Sounds like somebody, that that would be her, that would probably be her try hard Twitter bio nowadays. But it sounded cooler with her just throwing it off the cuff. <laughs> <laughs> Nowadays, you'd look at and be like, oh, okay. (laughs) And at one point, when they're arguing about Torchy's penchant for writing stories that could jeopardize McBride's job, he says, you're going to cook my goose. And she says, we'll have to fatten it up and cook it for dinner. (laughs) And he just says, ugh. (laughs) Sounded like a typical conversation between us, frankly.
1: Yes. You say things that just leave me saying, Ugh. All the time. All the
0: time. Just, it's your catchphrase now. So, you know, that was, you know, there's some good quips. I enjoyed the quips. Uh, There's some very bizarre, hilariously bizarre moments.
1: And there's, I don't know if you want to get into this now. Let's get
0: into it. Get, dive right in.
1: There's a lot of very unethical behavior by Miss Blaine.
0: Okay, but I, I hear you. I hear you and I know what you're talking about because you're talking about I'm not now. even
1: sure you do, because it's no, a I, long list. I know what you're there's talking about. There's a long list.
0: Why don't you why don't you sit down and let me I'm gonna tell you what I think and then I'm gonna say, but it takes a turn. It takes a turn at a certain point. Through the first half this is like maybe the first half of the movie, you're almost like in previous episodes, we've talked about how bad of a journalist torch is. Cause she's getting all, she's like basically sleeping with a cop and that's how she gets all her information. There's no pretty way of saying that it's bad. And also he's leaking all this information to her. It, it's just a disaster. And she's also always doing stuff like impersonating a police officer. She's breaking the law basically. And it goes beyond just like, I'm a journalist with moxie. It's like, no, this is just total bad ethics. Just a bad situation in this one. She's bad in the beginning. It's bad. But also Steve's police captain is also bad because he's really committed to just throwing all the scoops to the express, which is their rival paper. And he seems more focused on making sure that the express gets the scoop than doing any fucking shit regarding the people who are getting murdered all over town. And it's like, what do they have? Like nudes from you? Like what, dude, what is going on? And he's constantly yelling at Steve that the express, he's not saying like, Oh, we need to give other people a chance. He's saying the express needs it's pound of flesh. And if they don't get it, you know, we're all dead. And it's like, what? what what's going on? What's happening, don't, man? Don't,
1: don't you as a reporter kind of like to have the police and the sources being such fear of you. Like, if we don't give this scoop to the insider, our goose is cooked.
0: No. Well, I mean, I want people to give me scoops, but, like... But what's going- I, I want to know the- I don't want to- there's another movie happening here with the chief and this other- and this express editor that we're not even- we're barely privy to and that's- hap, that's drama happening on the side and I kind of want to- like, what is going on there? He's desperate. He's like foaming at the mouth every time Torchy gets the scoop and it's not- be, like you don't get the sense he, he's like pals with the editor because the editor will call him up and be like, hey, what's <laughs> going on? And you're like, oh my <laughs> god, what the fuck is happening in this city? You know, so- in the beginning, with that guy as her foil, it's kind of like uh, everyone's being unethical. Later on, <laughs> later things happen, and then you're like, "Torchy's like the most unethical journalist in fictional history." But, but for a while there, she's it's kind of balanced out by other people doing bad shit.
1: And there, even before we get into the main unethical things she does,
0: that's what people say about me all the time when they're discussing my journalism. <laughs> It's weird to hear that in this context.
1: Well, she, she, Torchy, really early on starts actively compromising the investigation.
0: Well, why be a journalist if you're not going to do that?
1: Because, like, like McBride and his bosses at one point say, "Let's keep this particular bit of information from the public in order to protect our investigation." And meanwhile, Torchy's blasting it all over the front pages because she happened to trick and manipulate a rookie police officer and giving her some information he shouldn't have given her. But that's just the beginning. Do you want to
0: let's get into it? Let's
1: talk about the diary.
0: Oh God, this made me want to, Oh Jesus Christ. So Gahagan, we mentioned him everybody's favorite poetry spouting Irish cop who is just the butler for McBride. Basically that's his function. That's they don't call him a butler. He's a butler. (laughs) And he tells Torchy that he's been keeping a diary around the time when she and Steve say that they're both going to go their own ways for this investigation. So she says basically something like you can make a lot of money if you write down everything that Steve McBride does, and then you could sell it as a book later. So he starts doing that. And then he, (laughs) he shows her in the car where he keeps his diary and he, he even hands her a key, which she quickly presses into a mold to uh, get the, you know, get a separate key made so she can access it. And it's basically like, you know, kind of like thing. So she's like breaking into this guy's private thought. This it is so sad.
1: She's, she's <laughs> illegally breaking into his car and reading his private diary without his permission or approval. And then using that information to get scoops.
0: He's a big dumb lug, and we love him. But also, what the hell,
1: Torchy? And one thing I didn't understand because that's awful ethics.
0: Oh God, yeah, that's it's that's awful. not that's just unethical. I mean, that's just you, you can't do. What that. what would
1: happen if, <laughs> if if you went if if you went to your editor and said, guess what? I ran into Jeff Bezos on the street. Happened to be carrying some mold with me. I made a copy of his key. I can now <laughs> break into his car. I'm pretty sure he has a diary hidden in the glove compartment. What do you say?
0: I think there'd be a lot of nervous laughter. Because, like, that certainly does not sound like a plausible scenario. It'd be more like, I, I, I got a thumbprint and now I copied it and I'm going to break into the spaceship and go to space first (laughs) would be more likely more likely coming from me frankly but um I I think yeah I think if there if I were talking about stuff that were was blatantly illegal and dishonest and corrupt I think my editors would be like no you're not doing that and if I did it they'd be like you need to leave
1: (laughs) wouldn't they even if you just suggest that I think when they look at you differently. Yeah,
0: even if I just did it as—I mean, I think if I, I obviously did it as a joke, maybe they'd be like, "Ha ha." But like, I think if I was like seriously, like, guys, we should do this. Come on, they'd be like, "No, just like, yeah, it would—it would not be good putting it on the insider slack." <laughs> I mean, you know, in journalism, you know, you're supposed to be maybe a little bit clever, a little bit tricky, a little bit ruthless, right? but you're not supposed to just like blatantly trample over every like obvious uh, right and wrong <laughs> to, to get what you want because it's sort of like if if you get if you get things in a really shitty unethical way it's going to blow up in your publication's face and everyone's going to be like you stole that from a man's diary that's horrible and and you know it's, it's going to be bad like you shouldn't just get things honestly i mean she hangs out around the fucking police station enough. She should have more sources than just McBride for starters. And there's also people in different offices that aren't the police that she could also uh, cultivate as sources who might be like the coroner's office or like, you know, maybe there's a County sheriff or something like there's she, she just, she's a terrible journalist. (laughs) Terrible. I hate to say it from my girl Torchy, but she's, She's got the spirit and the spunk of a good reporter, but the writers always have her doing stuff that's, like, really heinous. Like, imagine if, like, you watch a show about a doctor and, like, the doctor just, like, anytime someone got out of line, the doctor, like, just punched them in the face, you know? In order to make them take the good medicine. Like, that's basically what it is.
1: And then I, I didn't understand something about the logistics and the process of it. Given different points, we see Gehagen's diary. Very short entries. Just a few sentences. And Like one might say, McBride is looking to investigate Anya. (gasps) And then like the next day we see a big headline, police investigate Anya. And then there's like a big story underneath it. Like what's that story?
0: I'm not going to answer any questions without my lawyer present.
1: Because literally all the information in the diary was conveyed in the headline. Yeah. Clickbait. (laughs) In the 1930s. So, so, is that what it is? It's just, that's all they have is one line. I, I guess that bothered me. Doesn't bother me. I guess that's part of the business.
0: <laughs> I'm looking at you blankly.
1: <laughs> that's part of the business. You
0: have a really flashy headline without a lot of a lot of sizzle underneath. Oh. That's shocking to <laughs> I've me. I've never done that. <laughs> no, I mean, like, I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's like print tabloid stuff is different. Yeah. Uh, The whole thing is just a mess. She would be fired immediately if she pulled any of this anywhere that I'm aware of. Even, you know, you just, you can't do this. This is like, this is like English tabloid shit. This is like that phone hacking scandal with news of the world.
1: But it's going to get worse.
0: But yeah, it's actually going to get worse than that, which was a real travesty. (laughs) So we're going to, we're going to go past actual news scandals. We're like, we're just going to go nuclear in terms of
1: because frankly what she does at this point stealing the diary that's awful that's unethical i could imagine a reporter doing i that.
0: could imagine especially a 1930s reporter when like the, the reporters like were we the, the in certain cities they were going into crime scenes and planting evidence to write a story about i mean it was the wild west internal and there, there wasn't really the, the professionalization of the uh craft hadn't really happened yet i sound so fucking pretentious the professionalization of the crowd. but you know what i mean like it's it was things people were just doing shit some people were doing some good stuff some people were doing some terrible stuff a lot of in between stuff but this is within the realm of potential things that could happen yeah we're we're about to get crazy though
1: (laughs) and even now things similar to this could happen uh A lot of reporters, for instance, ran in the 2016 presidential election, they ran a lot of emails that had been stolen. So it's like reporters seem to think it's okay to run stolen information as long as they don't personally steal it.
0: Right. Yeah, as long as you're getting the handoff.
1: (laughs) So this isn't too far out there.
0: This is pretty far out there. I think it's also I don't think a lot of people would have like I don't think a lot of reporters could have like tricked Clinton staffers into sending bad emails in the first place with the, with the intention of writing a book about it later.
1: Have you admit Mark Penn?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, but yeah, Jesus. One thing I want to talk about though, because we mentioned that they're apart for a lot of this movie. What did you make of the relationship between old Torchy and old Steve in this, in this, uh, I know earlier episodes we said that there, in previous movies their relationship kind of felt kind of bad because like Steve seemed really mean to Torchy in a way that was kind of like unsettling. How did you feel about it in this movie?
1: Uh, absolutely no romantic chemistry at all. To me they seem more like a very competitive like brother and sister. Like one to one up the other all the time.
0: No, no like no chemistry at all all to a almost startling. She had more chemistry with the older cop who was tailing her later on. She had more chemistry with the rookie cop who is like, uh, kind of like she interacts with the beginning of the film. Basically he gives her a ticket or something and she's trying to get out of it. And it's like, I'm going to marry your boss.
1: At one point she finds a dead body. She has more chemistry with him.
0: <laughs> this, the Steve Torchy thing. I actually thought the young cop did a good job of like capturing the Like, I'm annoyed with this woman, but I also think she's kind of hot. Whereas Steve just seems like, like, looks at her like she's like an, like, he's like a retail clerk and she's a really annoying customer. I mean, it's like, not there. Yeah, I could almost see a brother and sister thing. So that's odd.
1: Yeah, at one point late in the picture, uh, they haven't seen each other for a while. And he says he's Mr. And it's like, that's hard to believe. I don't believe he's Mr. Buddy,
0: you just had the best five days of your life. (laughs) Like, it's just weird. Like, you know, like you think of like, you know, you think of what like a pair with chemistry could have done with this and it would have been like, you know, and maybe better writing could have had another Nick and Nora situation where it's just like iconic couple solving mysteries, sometimes at odds. But alas, (laughs) we we have what we have. (laughs) But yeah, I was like in the beginning, I was like, is she supposed to be flirting with this cop? (laughs)
1: Well, the other cop, I, I kind of it felt like she was flirting with him.
0: You know, she basically blackmails him into helping her later because, you know, he, like, dinked a hydrant or something.
1: And let let, let me ask you, do you think if she thought that flirting with the other cop or even getting romantic with the other cop would help her get a story, she wouldn't hesitate to do it, would she? <laughs> She'd do anything for a scoop. What,
0: what are you looking at me like that for? <laughs>
1: Why are you blushing?
0: What? You're turning bright red. Oh my god. We're gonna,
1: after this, we're gonna need to kind of have a conversation oh yeah, later. We're
0: gonna have a serious discussion. I... It's long overdue. Oh my god. You're no McBride. You're more of a Gahagan. <laughs> <laughs> Reciting poetry and getting duped into.
1: <laughs> and you're no Torchy. You're not even a Muggsy.
0: Oh, I'm a Muggsy, all right. No,
1: no, you're not a Muggsy. Yes, I am. Maybe I, a Maxie. I'm a
0: fucking. Oh, yeah. I, I actually like Max. Maxie is Torchy's eccentric editor who is always seems to be either wearing weird glasses or like a oversized hat. That's me. That's That's me. That's everyone who knows me knows that's me. Every I mean that that's the kind of energy I like to kind of give off, just like a frazzled old timey newspaper editor who's maybe like a few bad pieces of news away from just throwing myself out a window.
1: And huge hats. First time I saw you, you were in a Carmen Miranda hat.
0: Lots of cigarettes. (laughs) Yeah, he he's a good one. I like Maxie. Uh,
1: At one point, uh, two cops hear Torchy say "itsy bitsy." To Steve.
0: And then they say it in unison, which we're going to do right now. One, two, three. Itsy Itsy bitsy, Bitsy! <laughs> See, I preferred in the previous movie where all the reporters went all out and making fun of Gah- uh, making fun of, of McBride about having a woman who loved him. In, in that they would literally, like, they bought rice at a store. They bought loose rice at a store, white rice, brought it into the police station, and showered him with it as he walked by. That's That's making fun of somebody. Saying itsy bitsy at the same time is weak in comparison.
1: Uh, there's some interesting public officials in this picture. Tell us about the coroner.
0: The coroner is a weird looking guy. It looks kind of like James Joyce. Was that just me? I saw it too. Yeah, James. <laughs> so this veritable Dubliner is a, he does not have an Irish accent, but um, he does have like the white hair and the gla- little glasses and he's going on and on about on the phone about something and like you just like they reveal he's the corner eventually but at first you're like who the fuck is this guy? <laughs> <laughs> this guy's like bursting into the movie. Yeah, I wish there were more newspaper stuff because like I do enjoy it. like in these movies they always have it be like basically every other reporter in town hates Torchy because she's constantly scooping everyone and I could see that happening in real life. You know, be- jealousy on the beat
1: but yeah. I think it's more than just jealousy Is it's like If you were an athlete and you had moderate success as an athlete and then someone else in town was consistently outshining you and you knew they were doping, you knew they were doing steroids, you knew they were acting unethically, you would hate them and you'd have reason to hate them.
0: I'm going to tell you this, Kevin. So that's in the real world, yes. But this is more like all these reporters, they're never saying, that's unfair, or that's unethical. You shouldn't, you know, sleep with a source. Or we don't think, you know, uh, you know, you should run that because that was obtained unethically. Everyone's just like, we wish we could do that. <laughs> it's basically like you're pissed off at the other athlete because they won't tell you where they got the really good steroids. And you have to use just like lame ass steroids. Nobody's standing up and being like, we're journalists. This is a profession. You need to fucking take this seriously and do ethics and like, Figure your shit out and not print stuff like that. They're just—they just wish they could do it.
1: The, I do. I, that is true, but I will note that in this picture, we'll get to it later. Torchy does face consequences for some of her bad acts.
0: Torch, Torch, Torchy is Toichi. Toichi. I'm becoming Maxi. Oh no! It's Like a oh big hat has just <laughs> appeared from nowhere and fallen on my head. I don't know what's happening to me, Kevin. Help me. Toichi. Kevin, with tears in his eyes, loads a gun. <laughs> going to that big newspaper office in the sky. A <laughs> big typewriter. In the clouds. 30. Jesus Christ. What's happening? Toichi? chi um, I do not even know what I was going to say. <laughs> oh, my God. I will say, you know, we're talking about... You know, the manic energy of, of this film. Gehagen. I was a little worried about him in this one. He seemed a little bit more subdued. And most of the scenes were of him just, like, sitting around or standing still. I hope he was okay in this one. I know this man is long dead, the guy who played him. He was, like, a silent movie actor. <laughs> but, but I just was like, oh, no. Because <laughs> in this one, like, in previous ones, Gehagen would be walking around, following people. And, you know, in this one, he was kind of a little bit more quiet and he they had some other cop named Parker follow Torchy around. So I was a little bit. Oh, hope it's OK. He's a great part of the movie. I just love that. I just love like the weirdness. Like he'll <laughs> this there was one scene that I really liked with him in it. I felt like it was so, you know, McBride has sworn Gahagan and Parker, who's the cop who ends up tailing Torchy to secrecy. And it's like, you can't tell Torch, You can't tell anyone about this key information about the case. And I'll know it was either one of you. If you know, it gets to the newspapers. So of course in the, in the morning, he's like, nothing happened. And then of course you hear the star edition, like extra, extra, that thing you didn't want in the newspaper is now (laughs) on the headline. And of course McBride is pissed off and he runs over, he stomps over, he's like, grabs a newspaper from the newspaper boy stomps back over And what does Gahagan say? He says, did you buy one for me, chief? (laughs) "Ah, That's the kind of dumb guy question that I would ask. (laughs) Like, totally misinterpreting the whole vibe, totally misinterpreting the situation, and just being really concerned, like, I want my morning news, I want to be informed. Oh, God. I love it. (laughs) And you had really aggressive, whimsical music at, like, comedic points in this film. It would be like, like... Uh oh, torchy, <laughs> very aggressive. They wanted you to know we were having a fun fucking time here. You're like, torchy Gehagen killed himself because you printed his diary. But <laughs> maybe we should take that out. <laughs> no, this is going be Oh God.
1: Now, other than G- Gahagan, there were other supporting characters I believe you took a shine to. Like there was a uh, fashion designer at the store.
0: Oh, I mean, I-, I was like, that was pretty bad offensive. But, I mean.
1: It was less offensive than the uh, Asian uh, oh, God. Yeah. guy at the laundromat. Yeah, Jesus.
0: Yeah, you know, that's the problem with watching these old films. You know, you're kind of coming into it and then, you know, you're you know having a fun time. Everyone's being wacky. And then, then somehow they, like, get some just bad stereotypes in there, and you just, like, cringe inwardly. But, yeah, there was a guy I think I believe was supposed to be gay uh, fashion director for the Bon Tom store, <laughs> and they had him doing all these things, and you're like, oh, yikes. Um, and then
1: there was a oh, – yeah, At one point, this fashion designer, he's instructing models on how to walk, in their outfits they said, no if I could fit into one of those frocks I could show you a thing or two and you just at that point you, you buried your head in your hands and you were moaning and saying no no
0: yeah <laughs> I think that's <laughs> I think that's the only reaction you could give something like that where it's like very much they're 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 getting at something and you're like okay just, uh torchy disappointing
1: I can't believe there's a a scene we completely forgot to... Did we
0: black this out? What was it?
1: This was the scene where they take a a handkerchief with lipstick on it to a store clerk.
0: Oh, God. Oh, God. I hate. Tell us about that scene. This was the other racist scene. I knew we missed something. Um, So, yeah, they find something. They find like a handkerchief with lipstick on it, take it to a clerk. And for somehow she is able to be like, this person who would have worn this would have been a fancy lady. And a dark brunette. Maybe Spanish. And it was like, oh god, what the fuck is happening? This weird eugenicist lipstick lady.
1: Just from looking at a smear of lipstick.
0: That was an odd scene. I forgot about that. And then everyone's obsessed with this lipstick. They're all like, oh, this person would... She would be very dark, you know. And it was like, okay. This mo- this part of the movie is making me feel uncomfortable. I think that's why we blacked it out. They uh, the, the other bad one was... It was kind of sad because like it was like they had a, a a person running a laundromat who is an Asian ma- man and he like actually had like a nice vibe. He was like nicely dressed and he was like very friendly, but they kept on making him use words like honorable or unworthy. And it was like they actually had this like good actor who had a good vibe and was like kind of bantering with Torchy, but they like had to go and ruin it by like. You know, like they're like, oh, this can't just be a nice interaction without like race being a huge thing. He's got to a, be in charge of a laundromat, and he's got to use all these like stereotypical words and jargon, and it's like, oh, geez, old movies—they'll just
1: It'll break your heart. They'll, yeah,
0: well, at least we're having a fun time, and like, listen, like, I mean, it's not—it's not, it's not as, as any of this stuff is remotely subtle. <laughs> It's not, this not. all oh, I in retrospect, that's bad. It was like, it's like very much in your face, just ridiculously bigoted, embarrassing. The 1930s,
1: not just the 30s. Uh, the other day we were watching something uh, that wasn't even a mystery, it was a cartoon from 1970, and it had some stereotypes that shocked us.
0: Oh, the aristocats, yes. You, my husband, are gonna get on this podcast episode and just drop to everyone that we were. As adult people watching the aristocrats on a on a night.
1: The aristocrats.
0: Aristocats. That's what I said. You said
1: aristocrats.
0: Oh well that's a different thing. That's your comedic documentary. But no, that that's an interesting choice, Kevin. <laughs> it's
1: a fascinating glimpse into our lives. We talk <laughs> about murders and then we watch cartoons.
0: We sound like very disturbed, depraved people, actually you know there's, there's some truth to that i think i would be more scared to hang out with like disney adults than you know people who are obsessed with crimes
1: but with us you got the
0: complete yeah, package you get everything don't worry about it
1: i also like comic books crickets
0: No. <laughs> what do i like jamestown colonial jamestown good 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 time
1: so yeah, you, you, I remember speaking of that. You were telling me the other day that you were stunned by how accurate Pocahontas the cartoon was. Oh, get the you—you you felt that it it rendered the, the history perfectly. I said no such thing. Well, <laughs> oh, did I did I misunderstand?
0: Get out of here, or you will be held in contempt. <laughs> oh man, yeah this this film, you know, like when when ugh, Jesus. I don't know. I think I enjoyed it aside from the harmful stereotypes and aside from some of the harmful stereotypes about journalists as well. You know, I think it had some fun moments. It it, it was not like, I feel like the first two really struggled to hold my interest. This held my interest. I didn't know what the fuck was happening though. So say, say what you will. this,
1: This did not hold my interest. There was some banter at the beginning I enjoyed. And then there were some moments later in the picture where there was like, what the fuck moments.
0: One was that the cops arrest. Uh, so basically, they, the, a theory of the case begins to form. They realize that this retail exec was obsessed with this young woman, a model at his store named Louisa. And so was a guy named Mr. Greer, who I guess was some other rich, rich mustache guy. All right. There's a dime, there are a dime a dozen in 1930s movies. There's always a rich mustache guy. And he comes in and they're fighting uh, the retail guy and the mustache guy. They're fighting. And, uh, you know, so they they quarreled over this young woman. So at some point, the mustache guy is arrested because they're like, you had a motive to kill the retail executive. And he's like, I want to talk to my lawyer. And then McBride says, like, lock him up and don't let him talk to his lawyer. Like, oh, yeah, fuck the Constitution. What the hell Was, was that even legal in the 30s?
1: Technically no, but I'm sure in practice things like that happened back then.
0: I was appalled.
1: You got and walked out.
0: I I, I was walking out a lot in this thing. Got a lot of exercise. Yeah, no, the the uh, yeah, that that was that was interesting. But most of the, I mean, that happens, and that's certainly not the most unethical thing that happens in this film.
1: It's not even in the top ten.
0: Should we get to the trial? Or is there anything we should talk about before we get to the trial?
1: Uh, there was a scene that made you say, Oh my god, before the trial, where Torchy goes into a room with two women, one of whom is the woman in the case.
0: Oh my god. Yes. <laughs> oh my god, I I blacked that I think I blacked out at that point. Oh man. Okay, let's talk about and imagine just Imagine if this were me or like any modern day journalist, if this happened, can I tell it? Tell I'm gonna tell it. I want to tell it. All right.
1: I dare you. Torchy
0: she, she tracks down. <laughs> she tracks down Louisa, the woman at the heart of the case. And she Louisa and I guess her mother or friend or sister or
1: s- colleague, colleague
0: um, are hanging out at the colleagues or, or whatever. This other woman's apartment. And Louise is going to get out of town on a boat the next morning. And the other woman opens the door and finds Torchy crouching there eavesdropping, which is like pretty bad
1: already. But, you know. Would it even work?
0: What? Eavesdropping?
1: If you close the door and I stand on the other side and crouch down by the keyhole, am I, am I ever going to hear anything? So you weren't tying
0: your shoelace at the front door,
1: were you? I was trying to figure out what the hell you were doing in here.
0: and like i don't know i but i i i I, it's besides the point so they bring her in and the other the woman pulls a gun on torchy and holds her at gunpoint and tells louisa to start packing because she's going to get out of town that night and torchy's like i'm not a cop i'm a journalist you should talk to me and tell your side of the story yada 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 I've definitely, I definitely pulled the tell your side of the story thing before. So that was accurate. You know, like, you know, you should put your, you know, your own side out. Cause if it goes out without your side, then that doesn't really do you any favors. So yada, yada, yada. She asks the woman holding her at gunpoint for a cigarette. The woman gives it to her. Then tor- Torchy burns the woman on her hand that's holding the gun with the cigarette. The woman screams, Torchy grabs the gun and then holds her at gunpoint. okay, like at that point, if you're a journalist who got held at gunpoint, you know, you should do what you can to get out of that and rescue yourself. And like, if that means holding these people at gunpoint, okay, the story's gone wrong. You're going to be taken off the story because now you're becoming part of the story. But at least you survive. But then what happens next is the thing that made me black out and say, oh my God, and all that stuff. What does she do, Kevin? You, You don't remember. You blacked out too, apparently. I don't remember. She interviews them at gunpoint.
1: Well, now you've done that.
0: <laughs> Haven't we all? Get a big shotgun, big jug of whiskey, ask a few questions, wrap it up, record it, put it on rev for transcription.
1: I've listened to some of your interviews with the with chairmen of the board. Don't tell me there's no gunfire involved.
0: There's a pause in between questions and you just hear a click and the person starts talking again. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, that was pretty bad to, to coerce an interview in any sense in terms of like, if you don't talk to me, then I'm going to blackmail you or something is bad to literally do it at the, across the barrel of a gun is just quite a look. (sighs)
1: <sighs> and then she takes the woman in the case to police headquarters where there's uh, some humorous banter, allegedly humorous banter with McBride. McBride comes out and is stunned to see the uh, woman in the case there. And they now don't you go putting this in the paper, Torchy. Oh. And then she opens up the window and uh, one of the paper boys is already out there yelling, extra, extra. Torchy brings in the woman in the case.
0: I want to note that, because I don't think we express this, you know, just. Zooming back a little bit, Gahagan, whose diary gets stolen by Torchy and used in her news, he is destroyed by McBride. Basically calls him a fat buffoon, you know, and he's just left rambling and devastated, like King Lear or something like he's just he. And I don't I don't remember seeing him again after that in the movie. He is just kicked in the teeth by McBride after it is revealed that it was his blunder that allowed Torchy to have access to the case. So there's a real human cost to some of this nefariousness and its name is Gahagan. A moment of silence. <laughs> <laughs> we love Gahagan. That's not right.
1: You, you went, After Gehagen gets exposed as the source, he writes a poem in his diary.
0: <laughs> I'll read it for the class. Poem is as followed by one Thomas Gahagan. Is his name Thomas? I don't even know what the hell his name Doesn't is. Doesn't even matter. We don't know what the Christian name. There was a girl named Torchy Blaine who yearned to have a newshawks fame. Her craft of guile and breaks was blended, but now her psychic scoops are ended.
1: Do you miss like the newspaper boys who'd go around yelling the headlines? Have you ever thought about hiring someone to go down the street yelling insider headlines?
0: Well, King, you just do it for me for free?
1: 10 things Costco employees don't want you to know. Extra, <laughs> extra. Only if you wear the little outfit, too. <laughs> Shouldn't be talking about your sexual fantasies on oh. the podcast.
0: <laughs> oh my God. It's R rated.
1: We're just. <laughs> you get a little bit too personal.
0: My stars! <laughs> also, no. <laughs> oh
1: God! Every night you make me dress as a newspaper boy. Yeah, you know, extra, extra. Anya gets a big scoop.
0: Oh God, Kevin! <laughs> I'm not one of those newsies groupies, <laughs> newsies floozies, I should say. <laughs> You're ridiculous. <laughs> You're a ridiculous human being right
1: Should we get to the, the trial?
0: First, I just want to, you know, to, to show how innocent Gahagan is. You know what he calls his meal? His, his meal. He he's talks about, oh, what, what I did last night. He says he ate a hamburgle and onions. <laughs> <laughs> Torture should not be doing anything to this poor man. <laughs> but yeah, let's, let's get to the trial. But let's just say... I think the, I think we've described some bad, bad acts by Torchy for sure. Like pretty, pretty bad. It's going to get even, it's going to get worse on top of that. And I think it's going to leave everybody, you know, including Kevin and I just like there, there's a character who's a hotel detective at the beginning. Who's just like, it ends the scene by glowering and muttering reporters. (laughs) I think that's how we're all going to feel when we tell you about the trial.
1: So the hotel detective who was muttering reporters reminded you of me.
0: Oh, yeah. You are the hotel reporter who – the hotel detective muttering about reporters. That's basically what you do whenever I take you off.
1: So Torchy has a sign made that says women's restroom or ladies' lounge. Yeah. Line
0: what which, do you – do you think the guys who made that sign were like, huh, what, what – what's this for? I was like, Oh, never mind. Don't worry about it. Just going to would- lose my old shadow. Hmm. And then they're like, we're not even going to fucking ask. <laughs>
1: <laughs> what, what, what does Torchy do with this side?
0: Tor- okay. So basically what you have to understand is that Parker, one of the detectives has been assigned to tail Torchy, which again, we're, we're, we're glossing over the fact that like the police chief has assigned one of his detectives to follow around and harass a reporter. And that's not, again, that's not even like at the top of the crazy shit that's happening here. Um, he does that, and in order to lose him, she places the sign over a conference room that she slips into, so he thinks she's in the women's room.
1: This is a conference room of lawyers who are working the case and discussing the case. The DA is there. She's, <laughs> so like, violating all sorts of attorney-client privilege, all sorts of things. She shouldn't be in there.
0: It was really embarrassing. She's like, I want to do a profile about how DAs are humans do, and the DA is like, get the fuck out. <laughs>
1: That she leaves through another door. Yes, and then there's a comic scene where the detective who's following her sees <laughs> all of these men walk out of the women's restroom,
0: and then some guy looks like some one of the lawyers looks around and like is furious and is like,
1: "Someone thinks this is funny!"
0: and like throws it on the ground. He's <laughs> like, "Okay, let's all just calm down here."
1: I don't remember this at all. Torchy called in a bomb threat.
0: Oh, I was. <laughs> No, I was joking. Because there's a scene that's funny, though, and it's that kind of movie where, like, that could have happened. Yes. Things were going to that point. There's a a scene where Torchy is talking with the detective who's tailing her, and he's like, she's like, I'm going to lose my shadow sooner or later. And I was like, she's going to call in a bomb threat (laughs) to get rid of this guy. She's going to hire someone to set off some like sh- shooting sounding recordings so the cop's going to run and he's- she's going to be able to go and do wreck whatever <laughs> chaos she can. But then it somehow gets worse. Because what is she doing, Kevin? Is she going to go outside and track down a last minute clue to prove somebody's innocence? Or is she going to go interview a source outside of the courtroom? Well, what's so important that she had to get away from this
1: tale? She sneaks into a supply closet that's apparently right next door to the jury room, <laughs> <laughs> and then she eavesdrops on the sacred and secret jury deliberations, which no one is supposed to hear, not even the, the parties in the case, not even the judge, not even the attorneys. Nobody should hear what happens in the jury room other than the jurors, certainly not when it's ongoing in the middle of a trial.
0: 12 angry men, dot, 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 and a Snoopy blonde.
1: So she's like reporting. She hears them say, oh, we're 11 to 1. We're deadlocked. And So she goes, phones that in.
0: Meanwhile, keep in mind, the whimsical music at this point is just going nuts. It's blasting. It's in your ears. You can't hear yourself think. The whimsical music is just crazy. I feel like the whimsical music was like some, like, like, Lovecraftian, like, evil god that would come down and just make everyone act totally crazy in this movie. That that's the effect it seemed to have.
1: So then the judge says to his his bailiff, I guess, I'm gonna go out uh, for a break for like a half hour or so.
0: Also, can I ask? The judge is all pissy because the jury is taking six hours to deliberate. Is that even real? Isn't that like normal?
1: Part of the job.
0: Yeah, isn't that normal, but when you'd be like, oh, God, I can't believe, I'm late for my golf game. Like, why did you schedule something? What are you doing? You're a judge. It just struck me as odd.
1: You walked out.
0: I don't, <laughs> I walked out with the judge. We marched out together.
1: Trying to get, uh, cozy up to him for a story. <laughs> We have to have a long talk after this.
0: So in your your version, I somehow walked into the movie.
1: It was a Purple Rose of Cairo situation. Oh, my God. (laughs) So he's going to be out of pocket for like half hour or so. Second he walks out.
0: He's apparently going to go lecture some other middle-aged man about how important the jury system is and how important secrecy is. I'll add.
1: Second he walks out. The jury reaches a verdict, and Torchy, in the supply closet, gets this information, phones it in to her her desk. Maxie. And then the detective who's been following her, she sees him suddenly appear. So then she fakes another call in which she says, oh, guess what? The jury's verdict was actually guilty. She fakes a call to be overheard, saying it's not guilty. The detective then caused the chief to tell them this, and the chief immediately, of course, contacts the express. And so then as the judge returns from his stroll, uh, talking about the secrecy of the juror's system, uh, two extras appear on the street. One tortures paper, says, guilty. The other one, the express, saying, not guilty. The judge is outraged.
0: He's pissed.
1: there be hell to pay.
0: I w- has ha- As far as, you know, we both follow crimes somewhat. Y- as far as you know, Kevin, has there ever been a case of a reporter spy, like literally spying on the jury like this?
1: Not that I'm aware of.
0: Yeah, I haven't heard of this either. This is a new one.
1: New one on us.
0: <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. Uh, this whole trial would have been thrown out. This would have been a mistrial, right? Yeah. Yeah. Not even a close. But, But somehow it's not. They just say, all right, that happened. What's the verdict?
1: Verdict is guilty, and then Torchy is hauled before the judge, thrown into jail, contempt of court.
0: Would that happen?
1: Sure. Sure.
0: that happen. Judges
1: have a lot of discretion.
0: Okay, judges can do whatever, and also, this would be a mistrial.
1: I I think you, you could probably get her on more serious charges than contempt of court.
0: Hit me up. What are the most, what are the serious ones?
1: Uh... She's interfering with the legal process. Uh, obstruction a, of justice, yeah, obstruction of justice, breaking and entering,
0: yeah. It's a hot mess.
1: She like tamper with some witnesses.
0: She definitely she does witness tampering every fucking movie. That's just like what she does for breakfast.
1: So then she, the man has been convicted. Uh, she's in jail. Steve comes to visit. Tell us about that visit.
0: Well, first of all, so, you know, you think you're watching a mystery film, that the conclusion of the mystery might be, like, you know, the climax, or, like, maybe even on screen. <laughs> but uh, Blondes at Work does things a little differently. So the he gets let into her cell, and they hug and schmooze and whatever, and um, he explains the end of the mystery. He explains, he first of all explains that she'll be in jail until the new trial is over and it comes to light that he, I guess, tracked down Louisa after Mr. Greer, the mustache man's trial and got her to confess that she actually stabbed the retail exec because he was about to kill Greer self-defense. And he says, don't worry, it's going to be self-defense. Yeah. Cause like 1930s juries were really sympathetic to that kind of shit. Um, <laughs> and, and, but yeah, basically that sums it up in <laughs> they. And oh, oh, oh my God. Oh no, I, I for, I'm, I'm hitting my mic because I forgot about this. I forgot about the big thing. So she's all sad. She's in jail, so she can't write the big story.
1: But so guess what?
0: He hands her the paper. Her byline's already on there, breaking the news that he just told her. He called in Maxie and gave the big scoop to the star. And then they put Torchy's byline on it.
1: Is that how it works? Could I call up your editor and give him a scoop and then it would appear under your byline?
0: Anya's stuck at the dentist, but I happened to look at uh, her email and uh, print (laughs) it. Here's the the big scoop. I wrote it up for her and they're like, all right. No. (laughs) I think they'd
1: laugh me out of the joint.
0: I think they'd be concerned about me. (laughs) (laughs) They'd be like, is Anya there? Is Is she Okay. I'm just in prison, but don't worry. <laughs> Not everything's fine. It's all very whimsical. Why is she in prison? Oh, she tampered with a jury. <laughs> what?
1: <laughs> but do I, got, I got this Amazon story for you. Yeah,
0: I got this big hot scoop. On said jury. Yeah, it,
1: it's just a... Uh... <laughs> that was an odd choice. I love this note you have uh, about the final meeting at the jail. This shrug, words, words, words. And then the two guys tried to cover up with their own murders.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, basically, (laughs) when you think about it, the end of this film is basically the turns out. So I, I described the general strokes of it, but the retail guy and the mustache guy both agreed after the mustache guy stabbed the retail guy, they went off together because they didn't want Louisa to get hurt. And... The retail guy just was like, "I'm gonna cover up my own murder now. I'm dying of a stab wound. I don't need to go to the hospital. I'll just die in my room." That's how people feel when they've been stabbed. Yeah, you're definitely pretty easygoing about it. (laughs) Hey, don't mind me. I'm just gonna go die in my room. Sorry, lady. I didn't mean to bother you. I mean, what the fuck? (laughs) And it's just like you just like Steve. Steve McBride is like describing it, and you almost feel. Like, the story is really set in, like, a mental institution. And he's saying, yeah, Torchy, it all worked out. Everything was fine. Uh, th- this is what happened. And Torchy, and then like, and I can't wait for your next scoop. See, I wrote it for you. And, like, it just was <laughs> Maxie printed a fake newspaper to, like, entertain her. And, like, she's had a breakdown and she's out And like, I Bellevue.
1: I did think it was interesting that that final story that he called in that has her name on it, the paper is really wrinkled. And all the papers earlier that have borne her stories have been pristine.
0: This is like the secret story where it's about she she Nellie bled it too hard, and now she's really in the mental hospital. <laughs> God,
1: that whole in the, can you think of another movie where the climax happened off screen?
0: Okay, I'm going to say this, and I don't really have any specific examples to cite, but I feel like sometimes old movies do this, where they almost like run out of room. Like, they, like 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 they're like it, it'll be like a you know they're going for a while they're at a certain pace for better or for worse and then suddenly the end is like 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 it just ends without met much thought or art I feel like this kind of happened in the episode where we 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 um uh the Satan metal lady. Didn't that sort
1: of end? Oh, no, you're right. You're right. Yeah, it
0: sort of ended with like, and now she's in jail. But don't worry, give us some candy bars, and I'm like, that's it. <laughs> like, it's it's like it's like somebody who doesn't know how to say goodbye to everybody at the party, so they just leave, basically.
1: The Irish goodbye. The
0: Irish goodbye. My old friend. And it's sort of yeah. It it just feels very abrupt. It feels not anticlimactic. I guess the climax is her getting arrested at trial, but, you know.
1: The movie obviously carries a lot more about Torchy than about the mystery.
0: Yeah, a lot more about the antics. They're all about the, th- th- these are mystery films, police comedy films, police crime, you know, crime films. But they're truly crazy antic films. They're all about the antics, all about the silly moments.
1: Yeah, The, the films are more an excuse to visit with Torchy and Steve and Gehagin. Than to tell a coherent, ethically, uh, story.
0: He, these stories are about as coherent as Gahagan's poetry.
1: <laughs> Why is Gahagan even on the force? He's not that bright.
0: He, he's a cop's butler, basically. Does he have to be bright? He has to drive them around and get stuff for them.
1: So in the city, do you imagine that all cops have a butler on the force?
0: Yeah. I mean, maybe they don't call them that, but... I mean well, he is he's the head of the homicide squad right yeah uh, McBride. so maybe squad leaders get a butler a gentleman's gentleman so
1: do you think they should revive that tradition <laughs> you think no
0: <laughs> <laughs> also i don't think that was a tradition i think this is this was a movie written by like hollywood types who never uh, don't understand journalism or uh, police work, uh, or how life works. Typically, if you blow off your wedding, like five times, you're probably not going to get married to that person. But these two crazy kids keep sticking together.
1: I guess we have to keep watching to see if they ever tie the old knot. Yeah.
0: McBride, every Meg's Torchy, his bride. I made that joke a lot. I don't care. Sue me. What am I supposed to do? This is a Torchy Blaine film. There's a formula.
1: They got what five more of these things?
0: Whew. Yeah, I think it's gonna get weird because it's gonna—they're gonna replace Glenda Farrell. Glenda Farrell's great in this. I think she's she's just like such a good like wise cracker kind of, you know, like I'm like she gives off she exudes a kind of intelligence that the character's writing does not deserve. Yeah. But I think she's very charming. The guy who plays Steve is kind of a dud in my opinion because he just seems kind of like vaguely confused and annoyed by everything. And then Gehagen, what a gem! He's in all the movies, so I'm I'm happy about that.
1: Do you think Gahagan's a better match for Torchy than Steve is? Well, I mean, there's an age gap there, so I don't know. You know that means nothing.
0: <laughs> well, I I think I th- I was just I think in earlier episodes I thought it would be more fun to like have a Torchy type with a Mark Gehagen type because like that would be more of like an opposites thing. That would be fun, you know. And it would also explain why the cop would stay with the reporter even though they kept getting screwed over, basically, because they're just very whimsical and their their head is in the clouds. And the reporter is there to basically literally do their job for them and bring them back to Earth. You, like with, with with the McBride, he seems very dedicated to his job. He seems very dedicated to the force. So you'd wonder why he would even stick around with Torchy in the beginning of their relationship when this happened a few times and he got a few bad demerits for, you know, leaking.
1: So I've got a question. Yeah. Hypothetical. Okay. Warner Brothers gives you a big budget. Oh,
0: fuck you.
1: (laughs) They want you to reboot Torchy Blaine. Pitch me movie number one. I'd be like,
0: how much cocaine went into this decision?
1: Pitch me movie number one. Oh,
0: I don't know. So is she Torchy Blaine for the modern era?
1: I think she has to be.
0: I don't know. Um, does McBride have to be a cop?
1: He has to be a cop.
0: He has to be a cop. Does he have to be a law enforcement officer or can he be a private eye? He can be a private eye. Okay, he's a private eye. I think I'm gonna do that because then it would make sense why he'd be working with her, you know? Um, and and it would erase a lot of the ethical considerations because maybe he maybe he left the beat maybe he left the force in disgrace or something and now he's a private eye, somewhat successful. She's with him. They kind of have this love-hate but like actually cute relationship. Um and uh I guess I would I would really try to clean up her act. I would try to make her more ethical. Uh you know, try to make her daring and interesting and smart and and sort of, you know, maybe pushing the envelope in terms of what's okay, but certainly remaining within the envelope. <laughs> Because I think otherwise p- modern audiences are media literate enough to see something and be like, that seems wrong. <laughs> so clean up her act, you know, keep the fun vibe, make McBride a PI. Because I think him him on the force, it just doesn't work. You can't, without the characters being kind of horrible, uh, which I guess you could do, but I wouldn't want to do. You know, I think that's, that's a huge problem. G- Hagen's got to be in it. He's got to be some beloved older comedy person, I guess.
1: So is torchy like a savvy true crime podcaster?
0: No, she's fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> I think she's just like a digital. She's she's like she's like a girl who is at a once great like city or regional paper that is really struggling in this modern times, but she has a very like smart and like digitally savvy way of doing things. So she's able to get stuff really quick and maybe her editor Maxie is a little bit freaked out by that because he's more of a print man, but she doesn't care. And, and she also is getting them a lot of really good scoops, but she, she's also kind of like fucking things up. Cause it's like, you know, it's a stayed old paper. So they're not really used to like pissing people off in a huge way at this point but she's kind of bringing it into, you know, conflict with the powers that be in the city. So she's shaking up all sorts of shit. I dig it. I don't know. I That was pretty cliched, but I tried my best. <laughs> <laughs> what would you add?
1: I, I think you've nailed it perfectly.
0: Come on, give me something.
1: So Steve is a PI in this situation?
0: Yeah, he used to be on the force, but he left.
1: Oh, was it a voluntary separation? No. Oh, I see. Maybe he got accused of doing something unethical. Maybe he's similar to her. He pushes the envelope. One time he pushed too far. Yeah. He left the uh, force under a bit of a cloud.
0: Maybe he knows some. Maybe he knows where the bodies are buried, and they don't like
1: him because of that. So they're very similar. These two. They both do things their own way. Yeah. That draws them together. Now who's Gehagen?
0: Who is Gehagen? This is what I <laughs> lie in bed and think about. <laughs> Who is he? Um,
1: See, like uh, McBride's partner got shot in the head and has brain <laughs> Oh no!
0: Don't say that. That's <laughs> so awful.
1: McBride feels a sense of loyalty. to The guy, he says, "Oh yeah, sure, you can drive me around. That that contributes something."
0: <laughs> is he like some local, like crazy, like in, like insane person who like, like a homeless person? Yeah, you know, like thinks he's a cop. <laughs> no, that would be too terrible. How about he's? Is he still a cop or is he? Did he like? Oh, have. Like, what if he quit the business with McBride, like, thinking they'd be, like, partners, but he's, like, really terrible at his job, but McBride, like, doesn't have the heart, because, like, he was the one guy who supported him.
1: That's
0: no why <laughs> so he doesn't have the heart to be... And, like, 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 he doesn't do anything except, like, drive him around. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he doesn't... And McBride, like, doesn't understand why he does this. Like, McBride was like, yeah, we could be partners, but s- for some reason... For some reason, Gay can take that to be like, "I'll be your chauffeur," like, and it's really awkward. But he doesn't want to like make him feel bad. God damn it! That would be so sad. Oh man, that sounds like a terrible movie.
1: <laughs> I'd watch. It.
0: I think I think Torchy might have to live in her chaotic nineteen thirties
1: world. Do you think it works best as a period piece?
0: Well, I don't, I don't know if it works at all, babe. <laughs> I think there's a lot to be, yeah, I think there's a lot to really like about the Torchy character.
1: I gotta tell you, almost every time during this movie, when you were actually sitting next to me and not walking out, every time I looked at you, you, you were grinning from ear to ear.
0: <laughs> well, I'm a big dumb idiot, okay?
1: <laughs> so, Anya, what's your final, unvarnished, five-star final take on this picture?
0: I think Blondes at Work is a piece of work!
1: Thanks for listening this week. I'd like to give a special thanks to Kevin T. Greenlee, who's no relation to me. He's the guy that composed the great music for this podcast, and you can find him on the web at kevintg.com.
0: You can follow us on Twitter at me. That's mystery underscore to underscore me underscore. And at Mystery to Me Podcast on Facebook and Instagram.
1: And you can always send us recommendations and feedback of any kind at Mystery to Me podcast at gmail.com.
0: We're not teens setting up Hotmail accounts in the early 2000s, so all of those spell out two as T O.
1: Thanks, Thanks so much, much for, for listening.
0: listening.